Welcome to the latest on the law, a podcast of the Boston Bar Association. The Commonwealth's premier legal association, the BBA, is home to over 15,000 members and 140 institutional partners consisting of law firms, corporations, government agencies, legal aid organizations, and law schools. Visit us at bostonbar.org to learn more. Welcome. Thank you so much for um, attending today's program. Um, Demystifying the executive director position. My name is Virginia Benson, and I'm the director of uh, racial justice advocacy at the Massachusetts Law Reform Institute. It's an anti-poverty policy center um, and the support center for civil legal aid in Massachusetts. Uh, the BBA's Committee on Delivery of Legal Services is excited to bring today's program um, in conjunction with the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee to encourage more people uh, to consider the executive director position as a career option. Um, the executive director position for nonprofits and legal service agencies has historically been elusive. Um, we are seeing more turnover coming up, and as the population of attorneys in Massachusetts um, ages and as the population of attorneys um, becomes more diverse, we wanted to sort of demystify the process to encourage more people um, to consider this position and understand what they can do to um, today to sort of build their career up, um, uh, to position themselves nicely uh, to apply for one of these um, sought out positions. So our esteemed panelists will discuss their career paths and share their ideas on the skills and expertise needed to uh, lead a legal service or nonprofit organization. They welcome your questions. We would really like it to be more of a conversation as much as possible in this format. Um, and so I'm going to start off by just giving a brief introduction of our three panelists, and then I'll let them um, give a more, uh, expand on their uh, um, biogra um, biographies, and then we'll go into questions. So first, I'm going to start with Jenny Chow. She's joined Children's Law Center of Massachusetts as the director in October of 2023. Um, at CLCM, she... CLCM provides individual representation and related advocacy services to children in Essex County and Greater Boston. Uh, Director Chow is also uh, a board member for the Center for Law and Education, so can give uh, her viewpoint from her perspective from those both viewpoints. Uh, today, we also have Leon Smith. He has been the executive director for Citizens for Juvenile Justice since February of 2019. Um, CFJJ is the only independent statewide juvenile justice policy uh, nonprofit organization. And then lastly, but not least, we have the executive director of De Novo, a center, the Center for Justice and Healing, a legal service organization in which lawyers, clinicians, and staffers provide legal assistance and psychological counseling. So welcome, Mojde Rouhani. Um, and so I'm going to start off by asking, and I'll maybe I'll start off with you, Mojde, um, to just give a, like a brief synopsis of your career before becoming an executive director. Sure. Hello, everyone. I'm sorry that we are not able to see you, but glad to be spending the hour with you. And uh, so uh, maybe I'm one of the few legal services director in this there who is not an attorney. <laughs> Results. So I'm a social worker, but because De Novo is a is an interdisciplinary organization, for the first time, 
uh, in its history, 54 years. Uh, we have a management team that is a combination of me as a social worker and our deputy director and attorney. And that is how we run the organization in a very interdisciplinary manner, top down. And uh, my background before I became the executive director at DeNovo, I joined the organization in 2007 as the associate clinical director. And uh, my field has been the field of uh, trauma and treatment of torture. DeNovo at the time had a very small program. And my goal was to grow that program, the torture treatment program, which we have done successfully. And so 2015, I started in my current role as the executive director. So entering now the ninth year. Wow, great. I didn't realize you've been there for that long. Yeah. Um, Leon? Sure. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you all. Leon Smith from Citizens for Juvenile Justice. And as far as my career before becoming an executive director, I'll say that it's uh, it's been a book with a good number of chapters. I started my career as a juvenile court public defender with the Committee for Public Counsel Services um, long enough ago that the Youth Advocacy Division was just a youth advocacy project um, way back then. And from there, you know, wanting to expand and represent not only young people in the juvenile system, but also young people emerging into adulthood in the adult system. I went into private practice for a number of years working in the juvenile and district courts. Um, about a decade or so into my career, I began to feel the pull to want to do policy work. Um, as much as I love doing work on a case-by-case -case basis, um, that urge to want to have a broader impact. And that led me into policy work. I went to a national nonprofit think tank in New York City. That wasn't quite the right fit. So then I pivoted to working for a Connecticut-based nonprofit as a project director. Um, so at a management level position that allowed me to both practice and represent clients, but do systemic work. But more importantly, that gave me a window into the inner workings of the nonprofit world, the grant writing and some of those pieces, which eventually, in my mind, prepared me to make the step to become ED of CFJJ. It's so interesting to see how everybody has a very different path. Um, and Jenny? Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Jenny Chow, and I've been in this position now, we were just saying maybe three months. So this position is pretty new for me. Um, but legal services in general isn't. And so if Leon's background is chapters, I think mine is a winding road. Um, I, Leon and I know each other from youth advocacy days a um, long time ago. But I sort of started out uh, after law school as actually a public defender um, and then came back to Massachusetts uh, and worked in a small private firm that actually did a lot of public interest work. So kind of learned a little bit how to be a lawyer at that place um, and just decided at one point that I didn't really want to be a lawyer anymore. So I stopped and um, ended up kind of trying a number of 
different non-lawyering things, including marketing and for a software company and also started a pre-internet um, days. I mean, it was when e-commerce was just starting, we had a very small operation um, going in, in the web before everything blew up. Um, and then I decided that maybe it was time to get back into lawyering. Um, and that's kind of when I found um, the Ed Law Project and representing kids. Um, in between all of that, uh, with some of the contacts that I had, I ended up being in some legal service projects in different communities, but they were distinct projects, but it gave me an opportunity to kind of work in many different organizations. Um, at the time that I was starting the education advocacy work was when I met Leon, but also kind of where I became pretty focused on that substantive area. And that led to sort of more lawyering and then I ended up as a deputy director of a regional legal services program most recently. And I kind of look at that position as a little bit of boot camp to gave me a good grounding for the role that I'm in now. So while it's always hard to transition into a space like this, um, I definitely got a lot of good training uh, from being in a deputy role. And just real quick on the being on the board piece, um, we'll probably get to that part of the discussion, but it is a good opportunity to also see how things operate from that perspective. So I would certainly encourage folks um, to have, if you have opportunities to join nonprofit boards to understand how different organizations work um, and also have kind of a, a say or a piece of, you know, running it from that perspective, I would encourage that. So that's my circuitous road. No, that's great. I, I mean, I think it's nice to see that there's not one way to get to become an executive director. There's not one path. There's not sort of one set of jobs that are necessary um, or experiences to have. Um, so to help demystify the process a little, um, Izzo and many of us have applied for legal positions in the past, but is there anything unique about the interview process for the executive director position that you'd like to share? Um, I'd ask all three of you that question. So um, I started with Moshe, so maybe I'll start with Leon this time. Sure. So I think when you're interviewing for an attorney position, a lot of your focus is on really promoting and selling your ability to manage a caseload, your ability to handle different complex or variety of, of, of cases. When you're applying for an executive director role, there's really a need to do research on the organization you're applying to from top to bottom. You really want to look at and ask questions about the financial health of the organization, uh, where they're getting funding, um, you know, are the funding sources they have year to year or multi-year. You really want to get a picture um, as it pertains to 
the level of fundraising you're going to need to do in order to not just sustain the work that that organization is doing, but what the work that you envision being able to do in that position should you get the job. Another thing to really look at is um, the staffing of that organization as far as doing your homework. Um, is there adequate staffing to really meet the goals of the organization as it is? And again, as you're approaching an ED position, you're thinking about what they do, but you're also thinking, if I get this position, what direction do I want to go? Is there staffing in place for what you envision? Or is it something where, okay, I'm going to need to make sure there's funding to add these positions? Should, um, should it be? And then another thing I think may be similar, um, whether you're applying to work as a lawyer or as an ED, um, but I'll mention it anyway, is reputation. Um, how the organization perceived. Um, we all bring our own professional reputation as attorneys to the table, but um, if the organization has a negative perception in certain communities, um, it's not a reason not to apply, but it's something that you'll know you'll have to deal with and rehabilitate should you get the job. So I just think the depth of research you have to do um, is a little bit greater because you're going to be managing an entire organization and not sort of plugging into a role as an attorney within the organization. Well, that's great. Uh, that's some great information to think about about when you're um, thinking about how to prepare for your interview. Um, Moshe, anything that you think was unique about the process to becoming an executive director or the, you know, the application process, interview process? Sure, about the application process, because I was working at DeNovo before I applied for this position. So a dynamic that I had to pay a lot of attention to, and fortunately, our board, who was part of the hiring uh, process, paid attention to was that um, kind of dynamics of from peer moving into being a director, and how would that impact impact the entire organization? And so, uh, because of that, uh, and also because of the fact that we never had a deputy director before John and I started as a management team. So we submitted a proposal together to the board, kind of presenting to them our vision of why we think a deputy director would be beneficial, why we think running an organization in a interdisciplinary manner would be beneficial. And so there were some new components also to that. And because of that, we had to go through six different interviews before we got the position. We do have a large number of volunteers at DeNovo. So the interview process was not only with the hiring committee, which was a combination of the directors at the office and our board and the consultant that they had hired. We had maybe two or three interviews with them, but then they organized interviews for us with uh, our peers, with the staff, and also with the volunteers uh, at the organization. So it was a long process uh, and at times kind of finding ourselves to be repeating <laughs> a lot of the answers, but consistency was important. And what I would say is that if, if you are thinking about applying to an executive director position at an organization, Think about what moves you. 
why would you want to be an executive director at a particular organization? Is it the advocacy that they do that moves you and inspires you? Is it the promise of growth in an organization? Uh, is it that you see that things m- maybe not going very well at an organization and you just have the skills that and you would like to go in and fix what is not working and make it a really flourishing organization. So you you have to know that about yourself first. What is your passion and what inspires you and moves you? And then look into the organizations because this line of work is more than a job. There has to be a passion that is combined with having that job. I love that. Um, But I do have a question, Moshe, based on what you just said, where you made this proposal for sort of this joint management. I mean, that takes some boldness. Um, So what did you feel supported in your organization to make that type of bold move? Or is that something just individually, you're kind of just that type of rock star that you're going to make bold moves regardless? (laughs) It, It was kind of a surprise. To some of our colleagues, they're like, what? The two of you want to apply to be here? Like, yeah, we are. But I think the important thing, at least the way I know how to do it, is that, uh, you know, I am the same person I was. My responsibilities are different, but not how I interacted with the people. If anything else, now I need to care more. Now I need to be more responsible and I need to be more open even than before to, you know, create that safe and welcoming environment for the staff. And so that, of course, that's something that you never master. And I think if you think that we have mastered it, that's when the organization starts to go down. So it's work in progress. And we both went in there and said that, look, we are not perfect. You know, both of us, you know, at this organization where in John was the assistant legal director, I was the associate clinical director. And my previous job, I was the clinical director at another organization. But we had never been executive directors. And we acknowledged that. We said that we have never been in that position. And so we are going to do this with you. And our approach has been very much a team approach to the extent that we can, we consult, we bring everybody into the decision-making process. And our hope is to create that sense of ownership. So it's not about the two of us. It's all of us at DeNovo. And so in that spirit, I think, I would like to think that we have been successful. Okay, great. And I think that speaks to what Leon was saying is thinking about in, not just your legal skills, but your interpersonal skills, management skills like that. Um, and Jenny, I know that you re- are the most recent uh, to go through the process. Um, and so I would love to hear if you could share what you think was unique about the hiring process for an executive decision based a position um, other than your other legal service positions. Or if not yeah, so it's interesting um, what my colleagues here have um, described because I, I think, as Leon was saying, being really 
focused and, you know, doing your due diligence about the organization that you're applying to is really important. And it is an interesting perspective when you come from within, right? When it, because those are very, two very different pathways into this role. And so I think, you know, for folks who are thinking about this, you know, if you're coming from within, it is definitely, I mean, you have insider information, you kind of know how things operate or don't. Um, You know, it's hard from the outside, I think, because you can do a lot of external investigation and talking to people and, you know, reputation understanding, and that's all very important. But you don't always, I guess, know what um, others internally might, because your interviewing, I believe, for, for most of these positions is with the board. And a board traditionally is not part of the organization on a day-to-day basis. And so if there are things that are dysfunctional or good or especially good or especially dysfunctional, a, a board may not fully know all of that as well. And so, you know, during an interviewing process, clearly there's a priority for, you know, what a board may be seeking in an ED. But, you know, it's 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 an interesting balance because it's not always maybe what staff may feel is particularly important for bringing in um, as an ED. So this is all just to say that, you know, it's a little bit of a dance that can be done. Um, And I think that's why for most boards, you know, there's always going to be internal candidates, but there's, you know, hopefully also going to be external candidates and, and you balance kind of what the priorities may be. But from a board perspective, you may not always know, you know, what might be best because you're not there on a day-to-day basis. So it's just, I sitting on both ends of it, it just, it's sometimes an interesting struggle, I think, Um, you know, and it's, it's a little bit of faith. And I agree with everyone here that you do really have to want to do this. Um, It's a role that, you know, being a lawyer in a legal services organization, like you, it's very different from this seat. And I, and I think one of the, my last ED that I worked with used to always say this, like this seat is very different and, you know, it is, and it's a lonely seat. So we'll probably get into that more, but I guess that's all I'll say about it. It, There's an interesting kind of give and take in terms of internal, external. I think that may be important for folks to think about. Um. Well, let's, why don't we just get to that piece of it? I think that's a really good perspective of like, it's a different seat. So maybe just if each of you can talk about what you found to be like the most different or what is really different from being, you know, a practicing attorney or, um, or practicing clinician working with clients every day to being in this management position. Um, And if you think there should be some management skills before you take this position or whether you can go right from sort of direct representation or direct advocacy um, to the executive director position. So Moshe, since you were nodding your head, I'm going to make you go first. 
so what was the first part of the question? Sorry, Virginia, just repeat the first part. I know. I was doing a bad lawyering where I'm asking multiple questions at one time, right? Keep it simple. Um, so the first question is just sort of, Jenny was saying it's a very different seat from being sort of yeah. part of the regular workforce right. to being the executive director. So if you could just just talk about the biggest differences that you see. Yeah, well, as I mentioned in my previous answer, the dynamics, the relationships are different, right? Whether or not you want it, and as much as you want to be close to the staff, you are the director, you are the executive director, and you have to be aware of the kind of power that the position gives you, the authority that gives you, and uh, just be mindful of not abusing that authority. But everybody looks at you differently. You are the executive director. And so whereas like, you know, as a colleague, if you're an insider, you were part of many conversations and you heard about what goes on around the office, you you, you miss that. You are that not going to be a part of that once you go into the director position. Then, you know, naively, when I apply for this position, I was thinking that, okay, as a social worker and a clinician who has, you know, worked with people for many, many years, I have the human relations side of it down. That's easy. But fundraising, I haven't done at this level. I have done it at a smaller level for my unit, but, not, you know, for an organization. And it it happened to be the total opposite of that because it, it was not a therapeutic relationship. It's not. The boundaries are very different. And to learn to be that caring director, not a therapist, be there for your staff, listen, but be firm when you need to be, is a balance that needs a lot of practice. And so I think part of why we went with the model that we, uh, you know, brought to the board's attention of having an executive director and a deputy director was the loneliness of the executive director position. And I feel it's so important for like the two directors to be able to constantly communicate with each other. So I really, even though our uh, kind of, the, you know, titles are executive director and deputy director, I see it as co-executive directors. So we consult about almost everything. And we have worked on disagreeing, but working through it and consulting until we get to a point that we both are able to see the other person's logic, but then that helps us not be in that very lonely seat. And I think that that has been extremely helpful to That's great. Have this approach of not just one person. My approach is always a team one, never That's an great. individual. <laughs> And Leon, can you sort of talk about, I'm sort of shifting now based on that answer. Um, we talked, they, Jenny talked about being lonely and the loneliness of being in that position. You're a solo executive director. So is there a ways that you incorporate a team pers perspective in your work or how do you combat sort of the loneliness? Um, do you have a lot of support? Yeah, I think 
multiple levels and just uplifting what's already been said, having that good synergy with your deputy director is very important. I mean, that's really that's really your your right hand man or right hand woman in that situation and being able to bounce ideas off like, yes, as an ED, you're the one you're accountable to the board. The buck stops with you. But having that sounding board internally is definitely helpful. I think it's also really important uh, once you become an ED to find a network of other people who are working as EDs as well. Um, it's a unique reality and it is lonely and it can be isolating, but just having other people who sit in that seat who are familiar what it is to deal with board dynamics and difficult staff decisions. When you have a sounding board from other people who are in it, it's definitely helpful to have that. Um, and true, yes, you know, at CFJJ, we're a small organization and there's a great deal of collaborative work. And that's really helpful as an ED of getting to know each staff member's unique personality. The reality of management is, yes, you have a standard that you implement across the organization, but we're dealing with human beings. People have different personalities. There's different ways to engage and meet those needs. Supervising someone who's been in the field as long as you is very different than when you have uh, a fellow fresh out of law school who needs additional support in reaching. So getting in there and doing collaborative work helps you really get to know your staff and figure out the best way to supervise. But from the ED level, kind of building your your village of other folks who understand the reality is really key as well. Great, thank you. Um, and Jenny, do you wanna add to this conversation about sort of the different seats and? I, I mean, I completely agree with <laughs> what folks have said. Um, I guess the only thing that I would add as well about why the seat is different is there's just so many different aspects to it, um, whether you are a large organization or a smaller one. And, you know, depending on what kind of staffing and support you have internally, you still have this really wide range of areas that on a daily basis sort of need taken care of. And that is, uh, you know, what I think one of the differences, I guess, that I have noted um, different than, you know, you're busy as as a lawyer practicing. There's just a lot to do and you're very client focused. You know, here your brain moves in very different ways depending on the area that needs the, the taking care of. So, you know, that's part of what makes this interesting. There's never a dull moment um, and not a lot of downtime, but, you know, it, as long as you can pivot from one thing to another, that's I think one of the major differences that I that I've been seeing. Um, and I just want to be mindful. We're halfway through the program, and so I just wanted to encourage folks that we really do want to. Uh, the panelists are really welcoming your questions, and happy to field uh, your questions from the audience. So please feel free to use the Q and A function um, so that we can make sure we address anything that you have. Um, you know, that you want to know now that we have them uh, here. 
Um, so one, you know, we're, you're trying to demystify the process. So is anything that you wish that you, well, let me actually ask this because Jenny, you were just talking about our busy days practicing. And I think for many attorneys, we're really busy with our day to day. It's really difficult to think about um, our career, future career paths. And so I wanted to know if there's any skills or experiences that you would find helpful for an ED to have or hone um, right now as they're a practicing attorney or, you know, or just within their work. I, I don't want to limit it, you know, this is BBA, but um, maybe they're doing advocacy work or some other uh, kind of work. So what are some skills that you feel like people can develop or work on um, today that could help them prepare if this is a career path that they would consider doing in the future? Are you pointing to me? First? Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't sure. I can jump in. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was jumping ahead. But um, one of the things I think I would suggest, especially if you're looking at anything in this state, um, is really, and this isn't really necessarily part of the work, but in your organization currently, just sort of understanding how your funding works and then also broadening it out to um, kind of what the funding landscape is in this state. Um, because most of the legal services organizations um, are somewhat similar funded and just even understanding the differences because there's a lot of acronyms and people throw these around a lot, but just even speaking that language um, and gaining some measure of understanding of that, I think is helpful in terms of how all of this kind of relates to each other. That's a piece that, you know, you don't have to note in your day-to-day -day existence um, as a practicing attorney, but it is probably well worth it to at least try to understand it. Oh, that's a great tip. I would have never actually thought about that. Um, how about you, Leon? You unmuted yourself, so. Yeah, I totally in. agree. Two things that I would add is um, if you have, I mean, I think Jenny mentioned this earlier, but if you have the opportunity to join a nonprofit board, you should just to just to see the working of an organization from that perspective, but also the importance of a board that has harmony and a board that has harmony with the executive director as well. Um, some organizations get really handicapped when there's not adequate synergy at either of those levels and being able to see how that works and works well. It gives really valuable insight into how you work to construct a board who you reach out to to join a board of directors. And the other thing, it's, you know, having spent time as a solo practitioner, it was absolutely invaluable to me when I was working as a project director to have the opportunity to supervise, whether it was supervising all the summer interns or just eventually working and supervising colleagues, you know, being able to get that experience proven invaluable when moving into a position leading an organization where that's one of your main responsibilities. Well, that's great. Um, and, and a great practical advice. So thank you. Um, Moshe? I would just say some of the management skills, like, you know, doing the budgets, 
Not, not the funding. I totally agree, Jenny. Looking into funding and being knowledgeable about that is so important. But, you know, learning how to get better at the budget, some of the skills will come with trainings and workshops. But you have to know that your personality has what it takes to be in that position and be in charge. And, uh, you know, it's a lot that you are taking on. You are going to be responsible not only for your staff, but also the clients that the organization serves uh, and the community that you are in. And so I think that is something that you need to possess. And of course, me being a social worker, I tend to focus more on those qualities of like, you know, how we are able to relate and connect with each other. Because I think creating and having a healthy organization is the most important thing. And when you have that, other pieces start to fall into place. And so what what can we each bring to the table that could contribute to having a more cohesive staff, to having a healthy organization, to create an inclusive culture, to be open to diversity, be open to learning. So what work have we done to this point in our careers in those regards? And I think that that requires a lot of self-reflection that we should do prior to kind of going for any kind of supervisory or directorship. That's great. Um, that's a great philosophy and a great approach to the work. And I had a question and um, when you get solicited, a lot, a lot of times people say when, you know, you ask, hey, do you want to try for this opportunity? That's, you know, maybe a little bit more prestigious, like whether it's a judicial appointment, whether it's executive director position, um, a lot of people from from uh, communities that have been marginalized or not underrepresented or ex, ex, uh, excluded will often say, I'm not ready yet. You know, I need more time. I'm not ready. I need more experience. And obviously that's coming from what we see is the hard scrutiny uh, certain people get. Uh, we know that lots of people of color are over scrutinized and over criticized for their work. We see that in many studies. We just saw it played out um, uh, with Harvard's uh, president. And so, how would you address that sort of? When did you did you know you were ready for this position when you wanted to apply? Did you feel ready, um, or were you just ready to take a leap? So, if any of you, three of you could touch upon that, I would really appreciate it. I thank you so much for the question. And I mean, for me, the answer is I absolutely had to put my gloves on and fight the imposter syndrome as I was navigating the process, because you do have self-doubts. And when you've been involved in your career for a number of years and you're like, OK, I feel like I'm good at this thing. And now I'm going to take a leap into this other thing. Am I going to regret it? But then I had to say, you know what, if, if all else fails, I can always go back to taking cases. And this is a tremendous opportunity to go and do something at a different level. But it's true, like the self-doubt, all of that comes in um, in the lead up to it. And even for me in, the, in my first year in the position, you you should really take the time to think about 
Should you get the position? What is the work you want to do? How do you want to go about it? How do you want to craft it? Have a vision, right? I mean, when you're when you're involved in your practice, you're kind of going case by case and focusing on each case. As an ED, you have to think, okay, here's where this organization is. Where do I want to go with this organization once I'm in it? And yeah, I think as any leader, but as a leader of color, you have to stick to your guns. Sometimes you'll genuinely believe that even an organization that's been around for a while needs to make certain changes. People who've known the organization for a while may not instantly think that's the greatest idea. I, I mean, for me, I, I genuinely believe that a surefire way to fail is to go into a space and try to be someone else. You can only be yourself and follow your own vision. And yeah, you have to battle those self-doubts and really not only have your own vision and pursue it, um, but as you have board openings and things, try to connect with people who really support the vision of where you want to go and not just what the organization's been. Thank you. Um, Jenny or Moshe? Oh, Jenny, you're unmuted. Yeah, so um, this might be part of the question that's in there as well. Um, and Leon, I, you're not the only one who battles imposter syndrome. Uh, you know, this, for me personally, I don't think I ever would have put myself in this space, um, you know, looking back wherever I was earlier on. This wasn't something I was necessarily aspiring to. I think what is important is um, really along the way, kind of finding those folks that are your supporters in whatever level, professionally, personally. Um, it goes along also with what Moshe was saying about knowing yourself. And it's those supporters, not that can help you really understand is this the right time is this the right role um but to also push back when you know you get into that imposter syndrome mode and for me part of the reason i am in this seat is because there aren't a lot of people that look like me in this seat and i that's an important aspect of this and if we don't put ourselves out there, then, you know, we're just going to perpetuate this cycle of not more people looking like us in these seats. And why aren't we as qualified as the next person? So mentors and supporters along the way who can help reflect back those doubts and really help you work through that, I think is a really important part of this. And as you go through this process and figure out if this is the role or some other role of management of some kind, I mean, I think that's, you know, your supporters are going to be the ones that are helping you figure that out. So I would urge folks to, to really think about who that can be. Thanks. Um, and Moshe, if you can speak about, you know, you talked a little bit about the process of becoming you know, deciding to apply and present a different kind of format for the role. Um, so did you feel ready? Yes and no, <laughs> I would say. 
Yes, in the way that, yes, there was excitement uh, about just the potential of things that, you know, could happen. And uh, that's kind of the reason why I applied for the position. But no, because there were doubts. <laughs> and will I be able to do the best uh, or like my the vision that I have, am I going to be capable of? Uh, implementing that vision. So there were a lot of questions, but also I want to say like, we have a question. Somebody asked like, do, did you have a mentor? Did you, who is the mentor? So I think one thing that helped me uh, was, you know, just colleagues or mentors along the way that I consulted with. And, you know, if, one, one thing that, you know, I have learned from working with attorneys for several years is that, you know, and the organizations, when you work with your supervisors, uh, their role as a mentor, be, be, the focus is mainly on case strategy, right? So the supervision is so much about how am I going to work on the case and the challenges and, you know, how are we going to win the case and get the best result? But I want to just say it would be really helpful to add another component to supervision that, you know, like ask your supervisors how or the managers that you're working with, how was it for them? How did they get to the position that they are? So to add that human piece to the supervision and have mentors, one of my, one of my mentors was my former professor at the university who, you know, continues to be my mentor. So mentors don't have to necessarily be from the place of work, but I think it would be useful to also have that relationship with the managers and supervisors at work to go beyond just discussing cases and be able to learn from their experience as well. Well, thank you. Um, Leanne, there was this question about was it important to have a mentor or have someone to bounce things off of? And who is the best person to do that with? And I know that Jenny and Moje just addressed it a little, but I wanted to give you a, time, a little time to answer that question. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say mentor, mentor per se, but I certainly reached out to other people that I knew who had taken similar steps before. So having a group of peers who are also ED. So yes, you're, you know, getting some of that feedback, but also thinking back to when I was new in the position, um, having conversations with other folks who were navigating that shift and that change as well. It just made for a really valuable sounding board. I mean, in certain moments, someone who's done it for a long time can provide that wisdom, but as a lawyer, I always love having the ability to vent about judges or certain cases and things of that nature and talk shop. Right. It, that was always helpful. And, and having peers to be able to do it as an ED was also really valuable as well. Um, sharing and also getting that perspective. Great. So in the last 10 minutes, um, I just wanted to first ask you, like, what I, you know, we talked about the loneliness. We talked about a lot of the challenges about being an executive director, but do you find it rewarding? Uh, Moshe, you talked about you had to, you know, 
feel like you were moved and, and you have a passion. Leon, you talked about a passion for this work. So you know, can you talk about what you find rewarding about this position? I found it incredibly rewarding. I mean, thinking of my own experience, um, I, I love being a trial attorney and doing casework for a very long time. But I, I hit a point in my career where it began to wear me out. <laughs> it, it really began to I, I knew there was a need for a shift and an ED position in an ED position doing system level work really presented an opportunity to do that. So, you know, I, when I think of, you know, why is fulfilling, it enabled me to stay grounded in work that I genuinely believe in, but in a different pathway. You know, as an ED, you have that opportunity to help others, to help others grow and develop as well. I mean, one of the things that I love the most is, um, supervising younger employees and younger lawyers or policy advocates who are just coming into the work. Um, I'm not going to be around to do this forever. And so having the next generation of folks come in and being able to play some role in the development of folks who are going to be sitting on this panel 5, 10, 15 years from now, that's something that I find really fulfilling as well. Jenny? Um, I think for me, it's a lot of very similar to what Leon was describing, but, you know, this idea of still being really in a place where, you know, it's like-minded mission-driven folks, you're all kind of rowing in the same direction, but, you know, you have a chance in this seat to really kind of build and inspire in a different way. And that I think is kind of a huge piece for me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in a very, a pretty small organization as well. And so it's one office, it's a small group of people. And so that's easier for me, at least to kind of manage and, and look at, but this idea of building and inspiring, I think is, is a big part of it for me. And most day, what do you find rewarding? Yeah. I agree with everything that everyone said, but also, you know, looking at the over 1,700 clients that we serve each year, that really is what motivates me and keeps me going because I know as a legal aid organization, we more often than not are going to be the last resort when somebody, by the time they make it to us, they have been rejected probably from many different places by the time they get to us. So one thing that we always talk about at Genovo is that even if the answer at the end of the day is going to be no, that is not something that we can help with or take on for whatever reason, but let's be the people who at least listened and cared and they were there for the members of our community who do not often get that opportunity who are not heard. And so to be able to be a part of that, to work on systemic change, to do advocacy work, to get at the root causes of the issues that we try to address at the same time that we try to, you know, serve our clients, 
uh, but to really, you know, uphold social justice and stand for human rights, I think that's what keeps me going. Um, that's great. I feel like those were great last words, but if there's anything else you want to add, uh, we don't see, unless I really do want to open it for folks to ask more questions. Um, but if not, if there are any last words that you have um, about how anybody can prepare or how they should view the executive director position or why you want to encourage people uh, to, to consider it. Really quickly, um, I strongly uh, would encourage folks to consider it. We need fresh voices and we need more diverse voices in these seats. Um, representation matters, people with lived experience, people who've done the work on behalf of folks with lived experience. Um, you know, historically in the nonprofit world, you've had folks who stay in sort of positions of leadership for a long time. And so it's, it's really important to cycle in new, fresh voices because that's how we ensure that we stay on the cutting edge and trying to pursue justice. I would just add, you know, one thing that you say is that some people may say, I'm not ready yet and I still need to do a lot of learning and particularly encouraging uh attorneys from diverse backgrounds, I would just argue that you do have the experience. It just, the fact that you have had to fight so many systems throughout your life to be where you are and all the skills that you have gained that you may not actively or consciously think about every day, but that has prepared you to walk into this position. And so do not think that you do not have what it takes because you have acquired those skills all along. And it would be wonderful to have you in that management and directorship position. Great. And Jenny, we'll give you the last few words. Well, all I was gonna say was, I think I can speak for my colleagues that, you know, please reach out to us as well. I mean, we'd be very happy to speak to anyone about our individual experiences and help be that supporter for you. It's important. And I agree, Leon, we're not sticking around for 40 years. <laughs> These positions, I know I'm not. So um, yes, we need, Me neither. we need folks coming up the ranks. All right. Well, thank you so much. I I learned a lot um, and I it's really inspiring and interesting. And I hope that the participants that you've also learned a lot um, and found it inspired and hopeful and that you will really consider um, this different leadership position in your career and thinking about the executive director position as a, as a viable option for you. Uh, so thank you again for today and uh, happy new year to everyone. And thanks so much for my panelists. Uh, for being here today.